It's episode 117 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Vicky Hawley. Thanks, how are you? Yeah, very well, we're waving. Yeah, we are. <laughs> it's a two-hander, which I'm into. <laughs> We've got four waving hands, There's and I'm very wave- excited. There's a lot of waving going on. <laughs> uh, I don't know, it just feels like it's like, hello, <laughs> how are you? Welcome to the podcast. I enjoyed it. I've, I think I've most enjoyed it because we have been speaking previously for a while. <laughs> Vicky has been helping me with my Facebook posts, <laughs> and uh, I can say it's a lot easier... <laughs> With two. I'm more than happy to choose a background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I felt I felt comfortable in your choices. Good, I was just good, like, you know, anyway. Good. We've experimented with telling people. Uh, this is probably not. <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's fine. This is a behind the scenes bit. Behind the we're scenes. good. So we've uh, we've explored telling people when we're going to do a Facebook Live, giving them an hour's warning. Mm. Uh, hour's warning, that sounds... That's a better word for <laughs> Prepare yourselves. Prepare yourself. Gather anyway. the tinned goods. <laughs> but by the, by the point we're listening to this, it'll... Anyway, do check out the uh, Improv London YouTube page where you can find out all the post-recording chats we've done on Facebook Live. I didn't know we had a YouTube. That's very exciting. Yes, I oh. have a YouTube. I've spent quite a lot of time converting the MP3s to the MP4s. Um, mm. I don't know whether... Okay, so we have fewer listeners on YouTube than we do on SoundCloud or sort of different podcast things. But I don't know if that's because I haven't put all the episodes on there yet. Mm. Um, but I just think it sort of helps with visibility. Um, so if people do a search, we're more likely to uh, turn up sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. I forgot to shut the window. I'm just going to shut the window. <laughs> so good. And the listeners are going, oh, wow. It's much better sound quality now. <laughs> How will I know what's happening at London Bridge Station? That's <laughs> good. Well, we can, we can look out the window and give them updates. Uh, <laughs> yes, I should say thank you to the nursery uh, for uh, leave, letting us uh, record in here. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, the nursery. Uh, hello. Hello. <laughs> I just I feel that I'm normally more professional than this. <laughs> I guess I bring it out in people. Oh, no, I'm not sure if that's necessarily a good review of yeah, myself. I, I feel like I'm feeling, you know, I'm, I'm normally relaxed, but I'm feeling more relaxed than usual. <laughs> so I think that's, I think that's. It's like a beach episode. A beach like we're a sitcom and we've gone to the beach and it's just all chill and relaxed. You know? <laughs> well, is that like when you have a, a sitcom and then they make the film and they go on holiday because they don't know what to do with the. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this is the welcome to the beach episode of the Improv <laughs> London podcast. Um, yep. I was going to say something about us being in our trunks, but it's not an image I want to paint. Uh, Let's talk improv. Yay! Yay! Um, Let's talk about the hero's journey. Oh, yay, brilliant. Because I have to say, this was the... uh, I saw this, this is a new nursery original, and I thought, oh, that's really exciting. I'd like to talk to you about that. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're excited for it. Uh, yeah, so at the time of recording, not necessarily the time of release, uh, we've just had our auditions. Uh, we've got a really, really solid cast. I'm really, really excited. Um, but maybe like one of the most positive things that ca- has come out of this original before we've even started recording it was how much fun it was to run the auditions for everyone because I tried to keep them very workshop style, very fun and relaxed because I was aware we're looking for a small cast. We had quite a few people come and audition um, and 
I've wanted that to be a positive experience. And a lot of people have mentioned, even if they didn't get into the core cast, that it was fun, they learned something new, a new game, they made a new friend. Uh, and so I'm, I was really, really thrilled to, in effect, have a gatherance of nerds and then <laughs> release everybody else, <laughs> you know, afterwards. Um, so yeah, so it's uh, really, really exciting. Um, we've got our first rehearsal on Sunday. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed everything uh, will will set up smoothly. I'm very excited. Uh, the Hero's Journey as a concept, just in case um, anyone thinks we're talking about the narrative structure, uh, is going to be a, an improvised uh, high fantasy adventure quest story, um, which is sort of... Uh, drawing influence from Dungeons and Dragons, Lord of the Rings, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> I think is probably our most significant influence. Um, and just a whole variety of essentially these uh, high fantasy uh, adventure quest products uh, that obviously we all know very well. And I think everybody, if asked, would be able to name a favourite. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people will also uh, send, <laughs> send tweets and messages being like, technically this isn't high fantasy. The argument could be made that Monty Python and the Holy Grail was actually a low fantasy surrealist <laughs> epic. And I'm like, yeah, all right, you know I'm talking about things like Skyrim, okay? <laughs> um, um, and yeah, I really like those stories, uh, but I feel like the the thing that improv can allow us to do is diversify and adventure in more different ways and we can play around with the identity of a hero you know when I put hero in the title I didn't want it to mean specifically a, a Luke Skywalker style farm boy um, and I think we can really play with who a hero is I think we're going to be able to play really well with what a happy ending means as well I really wanted to get away from the boy gets princess that he's been pursuing the entire time except they've never really had a conversation and they've just kind of kind of been in danger for a while so um, yeah and I think being able to do that with improv specifically is really fun because we can explore all of these options without needing to spend months and months in production and in effect uh yeah yeah so that is that is the hero's journey i suppose in a, a nutshell that sounds amazing so what was it uh that drew you to this subject matter i presume you must be a, f a fan of this genre <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. a curious choice yes <laughs> No, actually, I'm a, I'm just a historical realist. I'm just fascinated. <laughs> no, no, I love. Yeah, I've always loved high fantasy quest stories, and mm, then the idea of it's so engaging, right? Mm. This world of uh, magic and intrigue and elves and dwarves and basically I think what's so attractive about it for me is that everybody has their own feature like their own uniqueness you know and you can play with uh, either more traditional approaches to say you know dwarves live underground and all have beards but not the women though the women dwarves have beards I'm sorry yeah, no, that's, you... that's true I thought I thought everyone knew that right that's, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry if you own any property that has dwarves in the ladies can have beards oh, yes, too yeah. um, but that's that's just a rule <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah, that kind of uniqueness really fascinated me and it always slightly frustrated me that you have these beautiful, magnificent worlds where you can imagine living trees and dragons that run entire kingdoms and treasures the likes of which we could have nothing like in the normal world. But you can't imagine that your hero is a woman 
or that your hero falls in love with someone of their own gender or the adventure is not necessarily just like treating women like objects or maybe there are no women at all cough the hobbit cough (laughs) and then when we put Evangeline Lilly in it everyone hates her character because she's poorly written and reduced to a love interest and she could have been so cool Um, but that's that's like scratching the surface of my issues with the hobbit films but like um, yeah so I think that that kind of genre has always fascinated me and I've always loved you know I still remember the first series I read the high fantasy series I think it was one of these cheesy ones I read when I was about 13 it was Maggie Fury's Artifacts of Power I've not read that and it was oh it's bad it's (laughs) it's not great I'll be honest it's it's a kind of thing you love as a a 13 year old or as a like a teenager essentially Mm. but it's not it's not a work of art I don't think anyone thinks it is but it's so inspiring and the reason that it was so fascinating to me was because the main character was a woman and her name is Orion and she goes on these fascinating magical journeys to collect magic artifacts and try and defeat an evil mage I mean we've heard it all before but it just breathes so much new life and so much fascination into that because suddenly you found the female characters relatable it's like seeing Wonder Woman I'm sure a lot of uh, your listeners will kind of have that identification with that moment where you see someone on the big screen even though I look nothing like Gal Gadot and we've had completely different lives. I voted it. Oh well thank you. Well and now I can take the braces off. Clink (laughs) clink. Uh, You have me in your lasso of truth. uh, (laughs) So I'm unable to lie. I I shouldn't have come on a podcast in cosplay. I'll take it as a note. It's fair. (laughs) But you know we have completely different lives, completely different experiences but because she's written like a person Mm. suddenly it's like oh well women of course women can do this too. I'm sure a lot of people have this experience with Black Panther and that's such a positive and wonderful experience that you know I I think there is so much potential in the high fantasy genre Um, and I think it really is a a stage at which we can either choose to diversify and explore all these amazing new options Mm. and these stories that maybe have been told before but not in the same way or brand new stories or whatever whatever or we can kind of let the genre calcify in exactly the same uh, kind of habits, essentially. Mm. Um, and that's fine, and it would keep making money, but it's just going to lose people. It's not going to be engaging, it's not going to be fun. And all of those people who are creators, who are writers, artists, performers, uh, musicians, who could be enticed and intrigued and fascinated mm. by a more diverse high fantasy world um, are just going to go elsewhere mm. and they're just going to find other things to put their time into and that's a massive loss. Yes, and by doing this you can you know, you can take these tropes that are well established, that are familiar mm. and you can enjoy them and you can use them but you can also make them new at the same time. Exactly. You get the best exactly. of both worlds. Completely, completely. I love that kind of thing where there's um, there's a couple of very, very popular uh, Dungeons & Dragons streams online um, and one of them, one of my favourites is Critical Role, mm. which is kind of led by Matthew Mercer and a bunch of voice actors in the States. It's amazing. Mm. Um, and what's maybe the most engaging thing about Critical Role is how Mercer's worlds are so steeped in the traditional fantasies, you know, they fight dragons and liches and they're a group of ragtag adventurers, but you have modern more identifiable themes so in the first campaign uh, minor spoilers I guess for anyone <laughs> yes. who wants to listen yeah, yeah, yeah. just skip it a little bit ahead <laughs> if you don't want to be spoiled for Critical Role campaign one um, two of his NPCs that he hadn't planned to ended up getting together and they got married and their wives and something about that just really 
hit home for me mm. and was amazing because I'd never heard it done or seen it done ever before in the fantasy genre. And I think that merging of fantastic old traditional uh, beasts of myth and legend mm. and uh, really high stakes adventures with the fact that these people now seem less like characters and more like people yeah, 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 um, yeah. so I think that kind of uh, modern adaptation is one of the ways in which high fantasy is already diversifying and of course there are a lot of very very cool creators already out there doing this kind of thing in webcomic web series streaming you know all of these different forms I'm not the first person to try and do this thankfully um, but I'm very excited um, yeah. yeah I mean I, I got into um, improv because I was a role player. Oh, cool! Um, what systems? Call of Cthulhu. Oh yes, yes, love it. Um, so, I find the idea of people watching role playing games and getting into role playing games through watching them on YouTube fascinating. Because yeah. you know, when I got into it, there what that wasn't an option. Of course, yeah. Um, and how what a great way of finding out about things and not having to rely on one person who you know to introduce it to you, but just being able to go online and. And even just be a part of campaigns without, you know, having to go through the organisation of playing. It's completely. like, we live in an exciting time. Yeah, completely. I love that kind of thing. And I love how much it seems to have given, uh, like, Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role playing as a whole kind of a new life. There mm, seems to be a yes. whole new generation yeah, 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 of yeah. people who've seen it through Critical Role and yeah. similar things. Um, or The Adventure Zone, which is another great one. And then they've come online and hooked up all across the world to try and get Dungeons and Dragons sessions yeah. together. Um, and I think that's just so brilliant. I think that's amazing. And everybody is playing their own versions of a fantasy world. Mm. Um, and yeah, call it, like obviously all of the systems called Cthulhu as well. Call of Cthulhu frightens me because of the insanity rules. <laughs> 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 it oh, terrifies the death me. Death spiral. Yes. Oh no, no, thank you. <laughs> well, it's, it's the opposite of Dungeons and Dragons in yeah. that there you progress and you get stronger and you get more powerful. Whereas yeah. Call of Cthulhu. You fight not because you're going to win, but because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And the more you fight, the more you lose. And yes, yeah. absolutely. It's like an inbuilt tragedy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's super fun. I think that's why I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that tells us a lot about you, actually. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I think it probably does. But it is, it's definitely engaging. I love that kind of thing. And I love the idea of an adventure that ha ends in tragedy that doesn't have a happy ending. Yeah. Obviously, I like happy endings as well, but having some variety there is great. Yeah, you do. You do what is right, mm. uh, but not necessarily what is good for you. Mm. Um, yes. Cool. Uh, so that sounds that sounds really exciting. Um, and uh, there's going to be some performances. Yep. Um, uh, they're going to be on the Saturday of November, uh, all Saturdays through November, and uh, the 1st of December as fantastic, well. Fantastic, at the Nursery Theatre. Yes, indeed. Do check out the internet for details. Yes, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, please do. I've been terrible with dates and different systems. I sent people to the wrong venue one time. I booked, really? in the past, I booked flights for the wrong month. I'm just, I have, I, I'm, I'm very much relying on my, uh, yeah, Saturday. Days, um, very much relying on um, my calendar. Right, <laughs> so Saturdays, definitely Saturdays. Definitely Saturdays. Well, that sounds very exciting, and uh, um, it's too soon to reveal who's in the cast, uh, despite the fact I warned you before we started recording <laughs> not to list people as an improv group. So I feel yep, like I'm absolutely. setting you up for a trap there, so I apologise, but I, I'd like to retract that question. That's quite all right. Well, my perception check was high enough, so I saw it coming. <laughs> Keenly diffused it with my lockpick. <laughs> Oh God, is that not, I mean, I don't really want to get into this, but I did find there was a lot of like listening at doors. Uh, and yeah. that's my 
that's what I kind of I know D and D isn't just that, but I do feel like yeah. oh, let's listen at the door. Let's you know. Yeah. Well, that's, like, that was pole, is that still yes. thing? Yes. Yes. Oh, D and D as a whole. Yeah. I think it massively depends on how you play it, though. I mean, a lot of people are very much into that more realistic style of playing it, where. I think you do that because it's more, it's actually kind of an older style of DMing as far as I understand, yeah, yeah. having, you know, read my nerd history only in brief, um, where essentially it's like a, a battle of wit between the DM and the players, yes. and the players just have to accept that you'll lose characters and don't get attached to them because they're basically tools to work your way through the puzzles mm. that your friend is setting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's great and fun, but I really like uh, adventure styles that rely less on the listen really closely here, do this, do that. I've been di- uh, DMing my own campaign with a few members of the Oxford Imps, uh, or former members. We've all kind of become the diaspora now. <laughs> We've all kind of spread out, mostly to London. Um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting trying to get that balance when you're DMing mm. of how much will keep the interest of your players um, and will kind of heighten the realism of, in effect, if you don't say, I inspect the door and I have a trap on the door, it's going to explode on you. I'm sorry. (laughs) You have to learn these lessons. You have to learn them the hard way. But but I also am not amazingly keen on these uh, almost punitive styles. Um, But some people really love that. So each their own. And that's one of the beauties of both improv and of of role-playing games Mm. is that as long as you know your audience and, you know... um, Certainly, the way I played Call of Cthulhu um, was very much um, sort of more of a story, immersive storytelling thing. We, you know, we had the rules, and we played, you played the rise of the rules, but it was it was the story that was most important. Yes. And um, we did a really fun thing in that I established the the particular world in the nineteen twenties, uh, and then my friend Pete took over. Um, being the keeper of arcane lore, but in the same universe that I created. Oh, that's so cool! It I was love that. Really lovely because I could have established an NPC. This is a non-player character. We should explain. Oh that. yes! Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, so this is uh, a character that exists in the world which isn't played by one of the players. Um, so I could create an NPC and. Maybe I had a plan for them, maybe I didn't, but then Pete could then take that. And so I got to play in the world that I created. That's that was, so cool. That was a really lovely that's thing to so do. so cool. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. A friend of mine might be running a one-shot in my homebrew world, and I'm so excited for it, like, ridiculously. <laughs> I'm just like, yes, I want to... It's like that thing of, like, building an intricate Lego world, a Minecraft world, and then be able to be in it and be like, ha-ha, <laughs> I made you, I made you with it. I made all of you. But you're just playing a shadow mug. Hush. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that sort of shared um, universe creation that I got from role-playing games, mm. I now get from improv. Absolutely, absolutely. I think playing role-play games with improvisers is a uniquely fun experience. <laughs> it genuinely is because everybody's so fun and collaborative and everybody's really, really keen um, to help each other out. Mm. Not, you know, I, I like playing with non-improvisers as well, yeah. but... With improvisers, there seems to be less of a, I don't know, uh, a feeling that each character is out on their own and we can have suspicions in the party and whatever. Everyone kind of assumes that everyone's on the same page, yeah, which is yeah, to make yeah. a good story. Um, but of course, that's not necessarily what people want. And there's there's essentially no wrong way to play yeah. an RPG, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, playing with improvisers is definitely really fun. I love that um, there are a lot of kind of more role, rules light mm. uh, tabletops that I've been kind of looking into vaguely. Have you done any indie field. role playing? Uh, indie role playing. Yes, so games like Fiasco and things like that. Oh yes, yeah, bits bits and pieces. Oh, yeah. Not 
unfortunately anything in depth but the uh, yeah indie role plays where you kind of you build a world collaboratively mm. where you say okay uh, uh, a big historic event happened here and there and there and there are uh, publications of a similar nature that I, I simply can't remember so I won't attempt to list <laughs> as Stuart very wisely gave me the tip of if you can't remember it just don't set yourself up to try and remember it uh, and I did and I walked right into the alligator pit and now I'm being torn limb from limb well, by feel, my own I feel you opened yeah. the door without checking for a trap so dang it they, no uh, <laughs> I'm not a rogue I'm the least rogue person I'm the least rogue I, don't, I am not subtle I do not enjoy leaping or flipping or sneaking I will walk in and I will sing a song and I will be on my way sir. <laughs> this is the only issue with playing uh, D&D with improvisers is that everyone is like why don't you take a quiz to see what class you are and everyone turns up bard <laughs> someone turns up with you they're like geek <laughs> I uh, recently um, actually sat outside the Miller uh, played uh, Fiasco uh, with a bunch of role players and it was like oh I had forgotten how much I enjoyed role playing uh, and, and doing it with improvisers it's better. I'm just oh, going to pull that out there. Stuart said it. Stuart said gonna it. Say, I... just going to say it's better with improvisers. I'm not saying many things are, but I'm certainly going to say role-playing with improvisers is better. Uh, let it go on Stuart's yes. record. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand behind that. That's, uh, it is great. That's, I have to say that's it is me, great. Yeah. That's my truth. Uh, <laughs> We should talk about some of the other things that you're involved yes, in. Yes, I feel like we could definitely do an hour's podcast to talk about tabletops. We certainly could. So you were um, you were a member of the Oxford Imps? Yes, indeed. Is yeah. this how you discovered improv? Yes, it was actually. So in uh, high school, um, well, in, in secondary school, um, I did uh, like a little theatre sports show, um, but nothing really serious. Uh, and I'd done youth theatre since I was like... 10 <laughs> for quite a while at our uh, Norden Farm, our, our local uh, theatre over in Maidenhead. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> really, a big shout out to those guys. They yeah. genuinely, it was amazing. Um, and so that set me up really well. Uh, so yeah, I went up to Oxford and in my first week or two, uh, everyone was holding auditions. And I mm. knew I wanted to do some kind of drama, some kind of entertainment. Uh, so I went and auditioned for this and that, and then I came back to college, and one of my friends I just met said, uh, hey, do you want to come and audition for The Imps? Um, and I had actually tried to get into The Imps show the previous week, um, and met my lovely friend Sylvia Bishop, and right. I was the first person, she was on the door, yes. um, and uh, <laughs> I was in effect the first person who said, no, I'm sorry, we're full oh, too. No. So I was like, you know what, as a kind of a jokey way, I was like, you know what, she's not gonna let me in as an audience member, I'll go in as a performer. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously not um, basically my friend suggested we go along because it was fun workshop style auditions mm. um, and yeah so I went along um, actually one of my scenes in my first audition was with Archie Cornish who then ended up being another member of our gen who got in uh, it was great fun really fun and then yeah so we had uh, auditions and then callbacks um, and yeah that's how I got into it and I hadn't really done specifically improv before as I said I'd done short form kind of improv sessions yeah, in yeah. youth theatre but 
doing specifically short form improv <laughs> and mid form kind of and and longer forms uh kind of as we approached longer shows um like we had a kind of a spring term show um it was very very cool very exciting i did uh our regular short form show and a long form shakespeare show uh and it was just wild yeah. and yeah from then improv was essentially my uh bar to cling to like a metal kind of bar to cling to i'm just imagining that scene in doctor who uh with rose and the doctor where like everything's going completely wrong and she's just clinging onto that bar attached to the wall too soon yeah oh. <laughs> although although very excited for the new new doctor very very excited so excited for the new doctor cannot wait i cannot wait in this terrible world that we found ourselves in the moment it may only be a tv program but sometimes a tv program can make a difference yes and if this is how we must resist yes then yes dang it yeah i'm like oh i'm so excited and i'm so excited for representation to be better than like i've I'm not going to go on the Doctor Who rant, but I know I know we all probably could have our own Doctor Who rants. I'm just very excited. About I feel, I feel that this is this great. is another this is another episode uh, that we could record for our Patreon <laughs> subscribers. <laughs> Hello, Mark. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> I have one Patreon subscriber, <laughs> so we could just go around Mark's house. I probably just. I mean, it's reasonably efficient. I don't know how pleased he would be. Just not Hi, Mark. It. We're, we're going to talk about role playing games for an hour. And then we're going to talk about Doctor Who for an hour. Is that all right? Excuse me, Mark. I don't know you, but we have opinions. <laughs> Let us into your house. You pay me two pounds a month or something like that. And so this is your reward. <laughs> and Slash. this is what you did to yourself, in a way. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, very, very excited. Uh, yeah, so improv was like the thing Rose clings onto when everything's going wild and tragic um, through... Uh, my degree and then through various life things afterwards um, and I remember talking to my mum uh, about kind of what to do after university um, and she w- I had just had no idea I was so just kind of broken <laughs> in a lot of ways um, after university and she essentially said right what if I said you have to go and work in this that this you know what are your immediate reactions I was like fine okay yeah and then she was like okay what if I said you had to give up improv and I sat up in my chair and I was like no I was like oh oh this is the thing I want to do this is it uh yeah it was it was basically my anchor throughout the whirlwind of of young adult life and indeed adult life oh god I'm an adult (laughs) (laughs) might not seem like it uh but yeah so that's um that was kind of my transitional experience which you didn't ask for but I told you no I've, I wanted that I may oh, not have asked good I might not have asked with my words but mm. with my mind <laughs> with my spirit um, yeah I still I still find the idea of having done improv at university really exciting because mm. I've spoken to a few people um, and I discovered improv much after university so the idea of actually having done that at university I was like oh that would have been good yeah yeah. I mean I discovered role playing to mm-hmm. bring a barrel back to that so that's <laughs> when I started playing I started playing um, Call of Cthulhu and RuneQuest and they were some of the happiest times I had at university mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so if I could have just done uh, improv as well mm. uh, that would have been marvellous but anyway I have to say it's great it's a great <laughs> thing to do at university and what's really nice I think about the student improv scene specifically is 
so many groups go up to Edinburgh mm. for short runs, long runs, whatever. Um, and I remember a few years ago, we essentially in the end said like, there are so many very nice, funny people who are doing exactly what we're doing um, or relatively similar. Why don't we, in terms of being students, doing improv and like having their first fringes and, you know, learning forms and stuff like that. And then we basically decided to kind of invite a bunch of people over to a flat party and making those connections with other student improv groups and the whole student improv scene is just so nice and so fun. And like, you know, we've done uh, a lot of stuff with like the Cambridge Impronauts and kind of a Battle of the Blues face off. Uh, And then we all go up to the Gilded Balloon Bar afterwards and have a drink and a laugh because, you know, it's it's all fabricated, (laughs) except except for one of you. And you know who you are. Not at all. They're, they're genuinely lovely people, and like uh, they invited us over to Cambridge, you know. And um, Ryan uh, Murphy of Bubba Blyton used to do a lot of student improv up at Durham, and so yeah. I actually met him, met him two or three years before we both auditioned for Blyton. Um, and it was lovely. It's just so nice to be able to see uh, familiar faces mm. and various people. Of course, I mean, you know, the imps will forever be in my heart, and you make genuinely lifelong friends at the imps which is amazing it's it's an experience like no other i think you the imps is just unique um and wonderful like that um but yeah having having a lot of student improv going on at the same time is really nice yes and also having more time to devote to that sort of activity yeah uh, must be great as well yeah really really nice Really lovely. Cool. Well, you mentioned Bumper Blyton, so yes, we should indeed. talk about Bumper Blyton. Hey, look at these smooth segues we're achieving. <laughs> I'm enjoying it very much. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, uh, yes, tell me about uh, tell me about your experiences of Bumper Blyton. Oh, Blyton is great fun. It is essentially an excuse to dress like an evacuee and go, <laughs> golly gosh, and fling tea cakes at people. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, okay, so that's one side of it. But it is also on a, a genuine level really really fun to do a proper long form piece so I was uh in that uh I was in Bumper Blighton before I was in any of the other sort of longer form shows uh it and it's it's genuinely lovely to be playing for something like the Enid Blighton canon yeah um because so many people you're flying to or you're chatting to will come up to you and essentially say oh I love those books as a kid, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just that commonality in a similar way uh, that I found running with the auditions for Hero's Journey, where you suddenly identify that you and this stranger you've never met have these uh, twin passions, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you both have experienced, you've both stepped through the wardrobe, essentially, yes. into the same beautiful, wonderful world. Yes. Obviously, there are some really big issues with uh, Enid Blyton as it's written, um, but I think taking the best parts of Blyton, the camaraderie and the courage of children and the fun, weird adventures they get Mm. up to while also being tongue-in-cheek about the period and uh, kind of enjoying the references there um, is kind of the the best of all worlds. And obviously we don't, um, we we kind of dismiss anything that we don't like because there's no value in bringing that forward. but we do take forward the bits we like, like picnics. Yes. Um, and yeah, uh, that's a that's a very roundabout way of saying we're no longer as misogynist and racist as the Blighton canon is. And me saying no longer there does not say that the show is in any way before Raph. It certainly wasn't. I mean, you very much yeah. started with uh, yeah. Anne and, yeah. uh, you know... Uh, being kicked under the table for revealing the secrets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> yeah, no, but that's uh, it's genuinely a lovely experience to have somebody, uh, in effect, go into and you get kind of your mother's age or older uh, ladies and gentlemen who grew up with Blyton as sort of their key uh, fictional experience and you see them coming into the show and their oh, faces wow. are just lit up oh, and lovely. they delight in it and I think because we don't specifically play like a famous five adventure we do mm. not cast ourselves as you know George and Timmy the dog and whatever um, that in a lot of ways is kind of more fun to mm. play with than someone just seeing a story they've seen before rehashed mm. we could go anywhere and do something entirely new while having that nostalgic feel and staying true to the spirit of Blyton as opposed to the mm. letter of Blyton. Um, yeah, so I think it's very fun. Which was your favourite Blyton series? Oh, I have to say I really enjoyed Naughtiest Girl in School yeah. when I was that kind of age because yeah, I yeah. found that, you know, the, the idyllic boarding school world mm. where the only issue is, uh, you know, someone's been putting nasty notes in someone else's locker <laughs> and the school pantomime might not be excellent if <laughs> Daryl can't learn to get along with the other girls. <laughs> but but Daryl can, of course. And they all love it. Um, we actually, uh, before our Edinburgh shows, we got into the habit of having story time where we read chunks of the Blight oh, books before wow. we went on stage, which I absolutely loved. That is lovely. Partially because it was very sweet and, you know, we could, uh, you know, really enjoy the stories and partially because you go back and you realise half of them are just lists <laughs> a lot of them were like oh in comes Elsie with her seven brothers uh, Thomas Harry Nicholas Toby uh, Duncan and Wiseman and they're on seven horses Thunder Lightning <laughs> Periwinkle Pudding Sprinkles and Chive and you know these <laughs> Wiseman obviously owns Chive, <laughs> um, and just so much of them are the yeah, so much of them are, uh, so much of those stories is kind of weird invention. Yes, well, due to the way in which he wrote them, you know, it was all very much first draft, and there was no yeah. revision or anything. It yeah, just like, exactly. You know, just came out as a stream of consciousness almost. Yeah. But that's a lovely warm up. That's a quite so a, fun. That's kind of quite um, an innovative. Well, I've certainly never heard of that before, even for people who are doing, say. A Harry Potter inspired, um, <laughs> you know. I've not heard of them reading a you know chapter from the Chamber of Secrets before they go mm. on stage. So mm -hmm. that's. Uh, I think it's lovely, but yeah. Jonah, I apologise if that was a company secret ah. I spilled. <laughs> I don't think it was. We did it. We did it in a public dressing room. And look, I've just got to make a quick text. And we... No, we're absolutely fine. There you go. But I do think it's really fun. It's a really fun way to get yourself into the genre. And also everybody sits down and does the same thing. Yes. Everyone takes turns reading. Everybody laughs and giggles at the silly bits. And it's a way of getting everybody's heads in the same place. I think it's very smart. And also the joy of reading aloud to other people. I mean, certainly when my kids were smaller, I read to them at bedtime. Um, but it's just, it's a really lovely communal thing to do. Mm. It's And you don't really do that as an adult. No, you don't completely. And I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of people kind of move away from reading. We don't really have the time to sit alone mm. for hours and hours without phones happening, without this and that happening. And I'm not going to go on a rant and sound like an ancient old crone being like, phones are ruining the world. Because come on, technology's brilliant. Yeah, and you're just yeah, mad yeah. because your kids won't look up from Facebook to talk to you over the dinner table. <laughs> come on. Um, maybe that's been projecting. It's like, no, it's not at all. Um, but, the, <laughs> but like one of the issues is, of course, now we don't really have any way to, in effect, put our phones down and pick up a book and be on our own sack. Because it's, mm. it's in many ways less engaging, in many ways more not you know kicking down books here 
Um, but yeah, I think reading communally or reading mm. the same book together. That's what my sister and I used to do with the Harry Potter series. Uh. We would both get the same book and move. Uh, we'd each have two bookmarks in it. Oh wow! So in effect, we just just like move the post-it note every time we got <laughs> past. Um, and yeah, that I think yeah, experiencing that it's that same walking through the wardrobe moment of we've had a communal experience yes. and we've 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 all got different lives, but we've come into the same world and we've really enjoyed it. I love that about genre improv, how everyone can come from such different places and yet we've all been in the same... Yeah. We've all been to Narnia, we've yes. all been to Middle Earth, yes. um, even if we've never been to each other's hometowns or met each other's families. Yes. I love that. That's really interesting. We've kind of got this shared imaginative space that we've both existed in. Yeah. Tom Bombadil. Oh, Tom Bombadil. <laughs> no time, unfortunately. <laughs> Watch out, Mark. We'll come around to your uh, house to tell you our thoughts about Tom Bomb. <laughs> for anyone, for anyone listening, who's supposed no, to think, watch it. We, we just stared out into space for a good five seconds. <laughs> yeah, Tom Bombadil, man. <laughs> I will say the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Favorite opening to a statement ever. <laughs> go ahead, no, go ahead, go ahead. Um, when uh, when my kids were little, I mean they're fifteen and thirteen now, but when they were little. Uh, sometimes I would want a book that was interesting enough to them so they'd want me to read it to them, but not mm-hmm. so interesting it would keep them awake. And I tell you <laughs> yeah. what, a Silmarillion. <laughs> straight out like a line. I barely <laughs> got past uh, Ulmo and uh, and uh, the Venya and the um, other Venya, not the Venya, and the... Anyway... Uh, <laughs> So anyway, that's a little tip for any, any uh, anyone looking after small children who uh, <laughs> like talking. It's uh, <laughs> quite a niche audience. Life hacks. Life hacks. <laughs> Specific life nerd hacks. life hacks. <laughs> Look, if you've got a copy of the Silmarillion lying around, all I'm saying is you've got to find a use for it. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be. Uh, it's going to serve you well. Uh, cool. Um, we should talk about um, the. I've written this down. Adventures of the Improvised Sherlock Holmes. Yeah! Do you read each other Sherlock Holmes stories as warm-up before that? We don't. I should really suggest that because that would be absolutely lovely. (laughs) So, so nice. I love it. Sherlock Holmes is a world I have loved for years. Uh, And I used to, I think my favourite Holmes is probably Jeremy Brett, of course. He's, He's... become the kind of definitive takeover from Basil Rathbone, I think, a bit. Um, for Certainly for the more modern generations. Um, but the actual show is so... Oh, it's just so fun. <laughs> it's just so fun. You can Because we uh, played it in Edinburgh as a three-hander, and I think that's what we're doing when we hopefully tour to Perth and Adelaide with it in the spring so that'll be really cool and I'm totally not terrified of that (laughs) (laughs) it's totally fine no it's I'm actually really really excited I've never never been to Australia of course um and yeah but the uh the other other cast members uh Tom Skelton Danny Roberts all these people um have done it before because they're obviously toured with racing minds things like that so I am in good hands I feel um, and it's just such a fun show. It's so fun to be able to take the serious vic- world of Victoriana and then turn it into something that is silly and ridiculous. And because almost everybody in the cast is from uh, like Oxford or has done ha- has like interest in the historical and very specific interest somewhere, um, it's so fun to be able to have a show that is kind of 
wordy and we we're going to make a reference to you know Arthurian England and the Knights Round Table and then Alice is just gonna list a bunch of stories about King Arthur <laughs> and meanwhile I'm over here being like well actually I think you'll find that the uh, Natural Science Museum or Natural History Museum wasn't actually founded at that particular <laughs> era or whatever and just in effect it's really fun uh, to have that style of improv where you can be a bit of a dick to each other <laughs> but not you know not yeah. not in a Yes. A, a way that's detracting. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's really, really fun. So, what's the what's the format for that? You ask for a suggestion at the beginning. Yeah, pretty much. We have a suggestion for the title of the show, the title mm. of the mystery, and Sessa, and then we do a little opening kind of scene where we go through a couple of the titles, um, and then uh, the third title we pick up is the one we use. Um, and is that in we, character? Yes. Oh, yeah. So we lovely. have. Not to not to put. Uh, I I mean, if you want to find out what happens in the closing vignette, come and see the show. Yes, exactly. But the <laughs> the only vignette is um, uh, an older retired Doctor Watson uh, dozing in his gentleman's yes. club, um, and then he meets someone, and that's all I'm allowed to tell you without uh, you buying right. a ticket. But it's great, <laughs> and then obviously we go into the improvised show, and it's been running for a couple of years before I joined so it's really nice because we have that set up format and a lot of the members know how the show works really well um, and yeah and then we just have, have Victorian adventures I love I love the Victorian era so much it's, it's I mean I don't want to be mean to any other eras of history because that's how history works well, yeah, so because, oh, hello, I'm the Georgian era oh I'll just go then yes please do you were actually quite bad not that the Victorians were any better let's be honest we've got to own our history folks um, if, look if we're not talking about tabletops we're going to talk about historiography um, but yeah I love it so much I did a thesis on Victorian women in science oh, as right. part of my degree and that's just so fascinating to me and I think we have a responsibility as owners and custodians of the past as we all are because we it shapes our future and our present um to acknowledge how we teach science and how we remember science and history and the fact that we kind of have this defined idea of a Victorian scientist as one brilliant man yeah. you know if you think Brunel Fox Talbot all of these undeniably brilliant men but we don't acknowledge the uncredited wives the uncredited maids and servants who did the washing looked after the kids did the drawings did the writing i mean a lot of these victorian scientific books were written by women basically leafing through indecipherable notes and assuming this is what their husband meant (laughs) and then putting it up and getting no credit the beautiful illustrations that women did of flowers and all these kinds of things that were necessary, completely necessary before photography and before photography became, um, you know, uh, popular and usable. Um, That was the backbone of science, but we don't credit that, you know. um, We also think of them as tending to be fairly rich, well-off men, or at least well-educated and middle-class. But that, I think, takes the legacy of science away from working-class folk who kept market gardens and did exactly what science is which is <laughs> experimenting to see what affects what you know yeah. keeping diaries of uh what soil content and what uh weather affects what grew um uh, i mean cooking is just chemistry but because it's done by women you know except all the high-paid chefs who are men um i'm on a rant here Stuart. i don't <laughs> know if right. you noticed but i'm sitting back and enjoying <laughs> the ride <laughs> well yeah essentially um 
we need to look at how we remember scientists mm. and acknowledge that science is not just done by one person, it's done in a collaborative way. And I think on the whole, not being a scientist myself and not being involved in the world of contemporary science as anything more than a very excited spectator, um, I think no, like taking an acknowledgement of collaboration is very crucial. But beyond that, and especially with historic approaches and how we remember scientists of the past, we need to look at how we define science and how our memory treats science and recognise that maybe sometimes that lens is discriminatory. Hmm. Anyway, see, so yeah, I like the Victorians. Excited to do some Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No idea how I went there. No. Actually, I'm not sorry. No, I had to be said. Don't be sorry. Say it. Say it. Yes. <laughs> I'm hoping that people who had prejudiced views will be yeah, listening yeah. to this. Everybody who was um, like Mary Anning, Mary Schmanning. Yeah, Mary yeah. Anning's great. <laughs> They're going to have changed their views. Exactly. Um, I've sol- you know what? I've solved it. I've solved the whole <laughs> misogyny here. It's the thing. Well, I'm glad that you've uh, done it on this podcast. <laughs> Thanks. So this will be listened to by literally tens of people. Uh, no, hundreds of people. But, I know Mark will be uh, here. I know Mark yeah, will be Mark, here. Yeah, uh, Mark. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, he already, uh, he's already sorted as far as misogyny is concerned. He's uh, very much against that. Good, um, good. Well, I, mean, I mean, I I don't, well, I tell you what, I could vet my Patreon supporters because, as I say, I've only got one, but um, <laughs> I'm prepared to take the money of misogynists because Ooh. they don't deserve it. <laughs> I see, so it's kind of like a cat burglary style thing, a kind of Robin Hood style, but via Patreon yeah, for an improv exactly. podcast. I mean, it's, it's a long process, <laughs> a really inefficient process, but that's what I'm, I'm going to carry on doing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was, uh, my, my, I was just going to say that I really love um, history and improv when you put them together. Oh, amazing. So it, fun. So fun. Yeah, it just takes you to different places that, because, I, you know, once you've seen a certain amount of improv, it, you know, it falls into certain patterns and you do mm. tend to see the same things coming up again and again and again. Mm. So when you uh, add improv and history together, and even if people don't uh, don't necessarily have the level of understanding of history that, you know, you do, um, just it, it takes them to different places and you mm. see different things. So I am always a big fan of anything. Anything. History history plus improv equals fun. I love it so much. It's so fun. And it's an excuse, right? It's an excuse to really get your hands deep into a period of history or a particular intellectual property. Mm. You know, I mean, Improv Shakespeare is another amazing example. The work they do is just brilliant and the language that they employ is extraordinary and mind-blowing. And also when you see everyone around in their Tudor shirts and yes. their, you know, uh, it's just transport, it just transports you. And it's so far, I think it's one of the things I've enjoyed both with both the home show and the Bumper Blighton show is that you do have an excuse to just in effect do a really in-depth research project on mm. something. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We did, we all assigned each other um, uh, particular subjects to do research projects on for Blighton. Oh, really? Um, like features of the uh, kind of 1945 to 55 kind of period. Mm. I mean, it's obviously a little bit either side of that, but pretty much that's the area we're aiming. Um, and I got uh, technology, and uh, the the brief from Amy and Jonah was that it was to be a five-minute presentation and no more. And I, of course, put together a half-an-hour presentation that was supposed to be 40 minutes. <laughs> I mean, 
it's just, oh, it's just so fun to get your hands in and be like, oh, I saw like pictures of the Skylon and all of these things oh, and yeah. trends and technology and how different technology was then. And the fact they didn't have central heating until the 70s. I mean, it's just, I mean, I think that's what I remember. This is the, this is the one issue with going deep dive is about a month or two later. I have no idea what I've deep dove, <laughs> diving, doved. <laughs> Daved? What I've de- where I've deep daved. <laughs> I'm not sure we can call it that. <laughs> I, I emphatically actually think we cannot call it that. <laughs> it's going to be going to be a lot of confusion. But I love that kind of getting really mm. involved in that kind of thing. Yeah, and and also, I mean, I did that when I was role playing. Mm. Um, you know, it was never a hundred percent accurate representation of the 1920s and 30s. Um, it was more. But it was taking a flavour and trying to evoke the times and you know, yes. taking certain elements to inform it rather than necessarily trying to recreate it from scratch. Mm. Um, that's the joy of historical fiction, right? You can pick and choose whatever you like. Yes, yes, exactly right. I'm just going to turn on the light. Very oh, quickly. right, yes. It's got otherwise, to... I can't see the podcast work we're doing. <laughs> it's got dark. Uh, it's quite dark. That's, uh... It's beautiful, though. We've got a great view. We've got a great view of... Uh, <laughs> of, uh, of uh, the Shard and uh, yeah. London Bridge. Thank you yeah. once again to the nursery for. Yes. Uh, I feel I don't thank the nursery enough. Uh, <laughs> the space. Who uh, who does really? I mean, we all ought to just take a moment now to thank the nursery. Thank you. Let's thank the nursery. <laughs> Everyone at home, take a minute. Not a minute. Just ten seconds. To thank the nursery. <laughs> no, sixty whole seconds. You know someone who works for the nursery. Now's a great time to send them a nice text. Maybe a funny picture or something you saw. A relatable gift, perhaps. Is there a meme that's popped up on your timeline? You know Jennifer would love. Send it over. <laughs> the nursery. And uh, Stuart, I just think I ought to say now, I'm sorry for getting your podcast kicked off the nursery. <laughs> We're going to be recording next to a bin next time. So, Vicky, so excited you came back. Uh, yeah, hi, Stuart, you all right? <laughs> Things went wrong, that's all I'm saying. Um... You mentioned um, getting your hands on an intellectual property. <laughs> yes, Your Honour. Uh, so you've taken yeah. the innovative approach that no other improv group has ever done mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, produced a show based on Harry Potter. <laughs> yes, so this is uh, in association with Type 5 in Oxford. Uh, so we've done a variety of different shows. We did an improvised court case. Uh, called Mock Trial earlier in the year and last year um, that was great fun in uh, Oxford's uh, town hall which has a courtroom in it oh wow uh, it was great fun it was really really enjoyable um, we've done yeah Type 5 does a bunch of uh, stand up nights and things uh, a lot of things in aid of Mind the charity which is fascinating uh, fantastic um, both um, and yeah really really lovely so it's an, you know, a pleasure to play with that side of things when I do but most recently we have put together a well Harry Housem has as kind of uh, captain of the type 5 ship uh, has put together a Harry Potter inspired show um, by the name of the show that must not be named uh, (laughs) because it really mustn't (laughs) various legal reasons I mean the world of Harry Potter is just another one right where everybody has such a, a connection to Hogwarts and such an emotional connection to their identity within it. I, th- I mean, if, I'm pretty sure if I asked anyone who's read Harry Potter, you'd be able to tell me the house you're in, right? Yeah. I mean, Stuart, but which house are you in, though? I'm in Slytherin. Oh, I, Wh- I'll forgive you. Which, I, which <laughs> to be honest, came as a big surprise to me. <laughs> really? Well, so my children um, found out which house 
uh, they were in mm -hmm. without consulting me. And as their father, oh. I feel I should be taking an active role in their education. <laughs> so my eldest child is in Ravenclaw and yep, my good. youngest Best child house. is in Huffle Hufflepuff. Uh, yeah, don't patronise my son. <laughs> no, uh, actually, look, hey, some of my best friends are Hufflepuffs. Okay? Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, genuinely, Hufflepuff, great house. So I ended I, I go to uh, Pottermore I, uh, yeah. and I did test. I'm in Slytherin. Oh. How am I in Slytherin? I don't know. I mean, I'm not the least fascist person I know. <laughs> yeah, but Slytherin, Slytherin isn't, I don't want to leap to the defence of Slytherin House. I'm, I'm a Ravenclaw. I want to be reading a book. <laughs> I want to be reading a book with a hot chocolate in a tower um, and taking no great part in the story of Harry Potter, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> like, maybe half of us stay for the final battle, but all Slytherin goes. So, hey, spoilers, sorry. <laughs> Just at ruining uh, three or four intellectual properties on your podcast. I hope that's okay. Um, yeah, uh, Slytherin is like ambition, right? It's all about like knowing what you want and then getting there. And like, you're an ambitious guy. You set up a podcast. Well, you took, I suppose you, so. You took, you took initiative and you made a whole Call of Cthulhu world. Uh, it's so. like it's all it's about having goals and then like being determined to achieve those goals. That's my approach to Slytherin. It's just some of the Slytherin's goals in the books are fascist, right? Okay. And that I don't think you're that kind of Slytherin. Well, thank you. I, 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 <laughs> just, um, just so that everyone knows. Sure I mean, I have this real uh, fascist uh, reputation on the improv scene. Uh, oh, you're with, the improv fascist. With, oh, with yeah. My, with my podcast. <laughs> Improv, famously a right-wing pursuit as well. Man, the bubble. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, podcasts, the most fascist yes, of communication of means, which we give away for free. Uh, uh, yes. Um, oh, man. Yeah, no, but I think I think being Slytherin's fine. I, yeah, I think that must be fun, right? Because you can achieve things. I, I Even when I want to achieve things, I would always rather be reading. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I should complete that application, that letter, that important email. Cool. Well, back to this book. <laughs> but Ginny just gave me a book on the social history of Britain from 1918 to 1945, and I must see what happens at the end. <laughs> oh, dear. So what sort of... Uh, is, is it narrative? Is it... Uh, what's, what's your unique twist on the... Well, our unique twist is that we do it in Blackwell's bookshop. No, it's great fun. Uh, it's in conjunction with a lot of the like 20 year relaunch stuff, I think, with, you know, a lot of um, anniversary stuff's yeah, come yeah, out yeah, yeah. Uh, with Harry Potter now. I think uh, Black Girls are doing big promotions like that. Oxford is a city which has so many beautiful locations to perform and we're really really lucky to be able to perform in them and be able to show that we can do good shows and bring people in and yeah celebrate this common interest we have i think one of the reasons that the harry potter universe is so engaging especially for improv troops <laughs> it feels like there are so many stories in it that could still be told right mm. like we follow quite religiously we follow just Harry's story yeah. and that's engaging for the seven books eight films and then two other films and then like supplementary publishing publications and whatnot but like we rolling by and large not not everything is engaging or great but a lot of the features of the world of Harry Potter are so engaging and so so promising yes. she's got dragons but somehow the story's not just about dragons <laughs> you know, you've got a you've got a giant squid in a lake and the story is not about this giant squid in a lake <laughs> like it's about this boy <laughs> like, really like obviously 
you know, it should be about the titular character, but I feel like that's something that draws improv yeah. troops in because it's such a familiar world and there are so many stories still to be told. Hopefully. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Because one of the uh, shows here was Magic, which is another original. Yes. Um, and I've seen bits and pieces of, like, I think Spontaneous Potter was up at the Edinburgh Fringe. And honestly, I think it's one of those cases where the more the merrier. I don't necessarily think any one Harry Potter improv show is going to become the definitive Harry Potter improv show. Um, yeah, so I think it's just kind of a fun world to run around in. And it's, yeah, it's again that commonality that a lot of people have been through the wardrobe into Hogwarts. Yes. I mean, that would be a crossover. <laughs> <laughs> been on the Hogwarts Express in Hogwarts. Yes, and yeah, as you say, um, you can see, uh, yeah, I mean, if you enjoy uh, improvisation in the world of Harry Potter, then you can go and see Improvable in the Chamber of Secrets, and you can also yes. go and see Magic, so we can't see Magic because it's not on the moment, but, you know, in theory, mm. and you would still enjoy them both, and they've both got slightly different takes, so it's, Completely. it doesn't have to be just one. Yeah. Uh, one Harry Potter improv group which is very good yeah. because there are lots yes uh, and if you want to come and see one come and see the show that must not be named <laughs> <laughs> what's it like in, uh, performing in a bookshop oh great fun yeah. really really fun uh, especially when you can be uh, surrounded by a, a bunch of carts covered in Harry Potter books <laughs> and they've got all these sorts of different props and things and then we can stick up uh, a bunch of um, posters and like we as part of the show have a series of about three old looking trunks with various kind of owls in cages ah, and jars wow. and yeah, like yeah, yeah. we all have wands and robes for the show um, so it's great fun and you can do a, a reasonable and sensible amount of set dressing as long as you take it down afterwards <laughs> <laughs> it's my favourite type of set dressing exactly and we did other shows we did some at the Story Museum in Oxford which is a wonderful place uh, and we've done various other uh, improv shows there um, and yeah, like it's it's one of those lovely cities where pretty much anywhere you go, you could just be like, "This is a Hogwarts or Hogsmeade." Like. <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. excellent. Um, and uh, you're also involved in multiverse. I am indeed. Yes. Tell me about multiverse and your involvement in multiverse. <laughs> well, multiverse <laughs> is an improvised musical show. Um, I really really love doing uh improvised music <laughs> it's not really going to be a surprise i have to say uh if we mention another one of my projects the only like surprise is going to be if i turn around and be like yeah really hate that show actually <laughs> like, i feel like that's my opening to all of them is yeah i really love the show i'm doing it's great yeah. but i do i genuinely do so multiverse at the moment we are every first wednesday of the month at house of idiot at the market house market house brixton um, and we are a split narrative musical improv show. Um, so we do, in effect, uh, a character reaches a choice, a question that they have to make, uh, a decision after, and then we follow timeline A, see how that ended, uh, where they make one choice, and then they make the other choice, and we follow timeline B. Oh, that's amazing. It's fun, right? It's such a, such a unique little USP of that. Yeah. It sounds slightly mind-bending. Yes. But, uh, oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very important to keep track of where everything goes and what the kind of key features are. But we sometimes do non-split narrative stuff, right. especially at House of Idiot, where sometimes you just kind of want a 35-minute yeah. show. And split narrative, I think, is fun to do, but it shines best in sort of 50 to 60 minutes. Yes. Because then you can get properly engaged in the world. Um, yeah, I love doing musical improv stuff, and I am that annoying person in a non-musical improv troupe who's going to be like, yeah, what if we have a song here, guys? Like, what, if, what if we just had a mean rap breakdown? I could do rapping, which means I could rhyme and be like, ooh, 
yeah <laughs> that's pretty much as as into it as i get um yeah and so being able to do it with uh an actually like devoted musical improv group is a real delight they're all lovely um obviously uh and yeah really fun i've only been a member for a few months but we are uh looking to kind of build on where the group has been and where it is going so that's very exciting that sounds fantastic yeah. If someone was to step on stage with you, mm. what could they do to delight you? Oh, great question. In the context of multiverse or just in general? In general. <sighs> delight me, man. Um, I really, really like people who come on with a cool character idea but no idea where the scene is going. And this is something that I have been trying to do for my own improv and often failing <laughs> I'm the person who comes on stage with an idea of how the plot must go uh, and because it makes sense in my head so I'm actually helping people by forcing <laughs> my plot down their throat um, and coming on with uh, folk like I mean the one that springs to mind at the moment is James Whitaker who is fantastic at doing this and we have so many fun scenes in Blyton where he just comes on stage and we know we are going to be villain and sidekick <laughs> and we know we are going to just slam out some great weird games and fun plot and we are going to have strange characters um, and doing that kind of thing where you make the transition from more studenty comedy where it's in effect you are an improviser speaking to another improviser on stage ah, yeah, to coming on with a character yes, and yes. making decisions to be someone other than yourself and it's harder but it's really really cool so I think that often delights me when someone comes on with it and you can just see it in their eyes I am here to support you yeah, yeah, and yeah. I've been trying to channel that for myself but we're not always successful um, man other thing, I really really love when somebody else finishes a punchline for me um, that I've deliberately set up. Now, uh, if you steal my joke, I will have to have a word with you backstage. <laughs> but in terms of, if it, you know, just puns and wordplay are, are always a delight for me, even when they're not necessarily, you know, suitable or helpful for the genre. <laughs> um, but I love just being able to do that, and I love that feeling of being able to toss a ball up in the air and know that someone else is just going to whack it, yeah, yeah, yeah. and someone else is just going to absolutely hit a home run with it. And being able to do that, I think, also is a sign of a team working really well together yes. when you see somebody go either somewhere you intend or somewhere you don't intend with something you've set up yeah, and yeah. it feels really truly collaborative there because you know they couldn't have climbed over that wall without you putting your knee down and hands down um, and kind of giving them a boost I love it. I think that delights me most when somebody goes somewhere with an offer that I've made that means that we were collaborating together that sounds fantastic yeah. time for the big final question okay I'm ready so 42, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, that's going to have to go in there. Maybe we'll discuss that in the uh, in the Facebook Live we're going to do after this. Um, so, uh, what is your signature move? What Ooh. do you go to? What brings the house down? What saves the day? What makes people go, classic Hawley? <laughs> classic Hawley. Man, I mean... I <laughs> Uh, I think classic Hawley is coming on at the end with a solution for every stupid little plot point that doesn't need to be tied up. <laughs> the protagonist learned a lesson. I'm like, yes, but what about that elf we met in Act 3? <laughs> Why? Scene 4's Santa Claus at the mall doesn't even have a love interest. <laughs> but Vicky's <is> here! <laughs> Being able to do that and in effect just like, twisty up that loose end, twisty up that loose end, and then stepping forwards and... <laughs> 
<laughs> being like, I guess the story is, the moral of the story is, and then a musician plays a few chords and I look to the audience and I start a song. <laughs> oh, um, it's only in a context where we know it needs a song at the end, but doing that kind of thing. I think that's a classic Corley move in effect, marching on. Everyone else has tried to do the finale and I'm like, don't worry, I'm here, I got it. <laughs> that kind of thing is very, very fun. Um, I like doing that a lot. Well, I wish we had a musician here so that we could end on a song. <laughs> well, <laughs> I do not. Thankfully, I'm very, <laughs> I've very much been enjoying this. Um, but I, I would not want to sully, sully your good podcast with <laughs> me warming up for 15 minutes and like frantically texting six pianists. Like, please, please, I can't pay you any money, but I want to sing one song. Let's do it. <laughs> please. Let's come and play some chords. Maybe the next time you come on the podcast, we can do that. Or maybe not. <laughs> All that remains is for me to say thank you for being a guest on the Improv London thank podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a genuine delight. I've loved this. Thank you very much. Bye. 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 I made this. That's Improv. <laughs> That's improv.